Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We're in this incredible sermon series called The Naked Truth. And uh, there are these two friends called Truth and Lies. They are friends from young, young times. And so they're in their youth, Truth went to visit Lies at his home. And uh, so they're hanging out together. And one day they decide, you know, we want to go and swim in the, in, the, in the river. You know, when you're swimming in the river, you don't have a costume. So they take their clothes off. They just put it next to the river. The two of them dive in and they're playing around in the river. Just in case you're not with us, they're skinny dipping. It is the naked truth. So, you know, just to let you know. And so I did warn you that it was 13 and above. It might even go a little bump it up a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Anyway, so they swim in, doing their thing, and then they say, we want to play this game. I don't know if you've ever played this game when you've been in water, where you go underwater, you hold your breath, and the person that holds their breath for the longest wins the competition. So the two of them say, sure, we're going to do this. So on the count of three, they go, one, two, three, and truth goes under, but lies runs away. Right, right, lies get out of the water, picks up the clothes, and goes home. Truth is under the water, winning the game, right? Truth is like holding his breath, holding his breath. He comes up, oh, lies is gone. Truth is alone in the water. He's looking around. He's got a problem now because uh, he needs to get out of the water. He gets out of the water where his clothes were. They're gone too. So now he's like, what am I going to do? Hey, so he's making left. Right, you know, he's trying to make his way back to Lyre's house so he can get his clothes. He gets to the door there, back door probably, knocks on the door. Um, Lyre comes and opens the door says, oh, and Truth says, why did you leave me in the river? And, and, and why are you wearing my clothes? And Lyre says, I, I wasn't with you in the river. I've been playing video games all morning. And Truth says, that's not the truth. We were swimming, I won the competition. He says, no, I've been playing video games, eating popcorn. I don't know what you're talking about. And so this thing starts escalating. So from just like, it now moves from the back door into the street. So you've got truth and lies having this fight in the street. You know what happens when there's a fight in the street? Everybody comes out, right? So the whole community is now standing around watching truth and lies have this like fight about what happened that morning. And the community had a choice. They could either believe the lies in truth's clothing or believe the naked truth. Right? And that is your task this morning. In fact, that is your task over the sermon series. Is that you can believe lies in truth's clothing or you can believe the naked truth. Last week... Pastor Sai and the panel did an incredible job of unpacking what it means to be pure in the society that we live in today. And Mzamo dropped that bomb, algorithms are not my friend, right? And so we need to be aware that the naked truth is with us today. And so today we're going to be talking about sexual healing in a broken world. And this is a tough conversation to be had. Because you cannot walk into a room in society today without realizing that there are people broken sexually in this broken world. Sexual brokenness can be defined as any sexual activity or experience that doesn't honor God. 
any sexual experience or activity that doesn't honor God. The, the topic of sexual abuse has almost exploded in society in the last recent years when a couple of celebrities started the Me Too movement that decided that what was happening in secret could not no longer stay in secret. And they started this hashtag MeToo movement and that allowed people around the world to say, you're not alone, Me Too. It gave courage to women and men to say, Me Too, I stand with you in this. And so this morning we're going to expose the darkness that some of us are still living in. And that we are going to say, me too. There are a number of people that are standing with you. This sexual brokenness is not a new thing to us. Throughout Scripture, the Old Testament contains examples of sexual violence, rape, adultery, and all kinds of other sexual pervertity. Whether you look at Ezekiel 33, 26, 2 Samuel 13 and 12, or Hosea 4, 1 to 20. All stories of sexual depravity. Our sexual brokenness is due to our rejection of God's authority in this area of our lives. And we can choose to be healed today. Or you can choose to continue to walk in your pain. Because I was reminded this week in my personal devotions that when Jesus roamed the earth, He never imposed His healing on anybody. He didn't see somebody that was in need and say, this is what I think you need. He didn't go up to a blind person and not ask them what they want and just pray for their healing. Jesus asked some stupid questions sometimes to a lame person. Do you want to be healed? To a deaf person, do you want to hear? To somebody that was part of leprosy, do you want to be clean? Right? And so this morning, that same question is coming your way. Do you want to be healed? And it is up to you to decide whether you want to step into that. If you choose to step into that healing, God is going to be faithful to meet you. We're going to have a couple of people share their story about how they stepped into that healing, that when that invitation came, they stepped in, and the incredible things that God have has done. And so John 5, 6, when Jesus saw him laying there, the, the lame man next to the pool, and he said, learned how long his condition was there, he asked him, do you want to get well? And so that is the question we are posing to you today in this auditorium and online. Do you want to get well? So we've got Mihi that's going to come up in a moment and share. You can start making your way up, Mihi. Directly after Mihi, we're going to have Mersha share her story. And then we'll see where God takes us on this incredible journey. So don't you want to just give a warm welcome to me as she comes up. Thank you, Pastor Quinton. Good morning. Still morning. Good morning, church. Um, I thought I'd be okay by the second service, but I am still so emotional, maybe if not more. Do I have permission to be free and to be myself this morning? To be honest, thank you. Um, I love God. I love God so, so much. And I have had the wonderful privilege to experience him in the beauty of all that he is. And to know that there are people who cannot receive that because of shame, 
or because of anything else, breaks my heart. If you were to hear that at Cartier in the Diamond Walk, there is free 12 karat diamonds being given out, you would run and you would tell everyone, right? Because of the price and the value of that thing. It's just free. It's being given. You just have to go and get it. But we don't do that with Jesus. So I'm going to be as honest as I can this morning for the sake of people who feel like they're too far gone, that their sin is too dark, for the sake of the people who have been raped in the room, who have shame, for the sake of anyone who has said, God can't love me because I'm gay, for the sake of anyone who thinks God is against them because of their sin, for the sake of anyone who cannot step into that love, I'm going to be as honest as possible. There's a scripture that I really, really love. Genesis 2 verse 25. It says, Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. That is the last scripture before the fall. The last one. And what that says to me is that no shame, to know no shame, was God's divine design for us on this earth. Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. So if shame came with you today, leave it behind. It is not yours. That is not what God designed for us to know in Jesus' name. So my story uh, starts like from almost the, be the beginning. My story feels like it was built to be an altar for sexual blunders. I was conceived from an extramarital affair. Uh, my parents would then get married eventually. Um, at the age of three or four, my cousin began to sexually violate me. And he would do things to me every single time I would go to my aunt's house. Now, the type of person that my father was was that he was an adulterer and he, he, he loved bodies. And I would recognize how my father would, you know, talk about women's bodies or uh, compliment people. And what that registered to me and what my cousin did was that to love and to be loved is to give of your body. What happened with my cousin happened for a while. So, and what eventually came to pass is that whenever he wouldn't violate me when I'd go to my aunt's house, I felt like there was something wrong with me. I felt like I did something wrong, that I made him mad or that he doesn't love me anymore. Why didn't he do that thing? But at the same time, I didn't tell anyone this thing because I knew even as a child, that this is wrong. I lived in a community that was also quite sketchy in terms of the sexual culture. The culture was that give of your body, you know, give of your virginity. If you were 16 years old where I grew up, grew up and you were still a virgin, you were late. Like, what's wrong with you, right? I was shocked when I got to varsity and I met virgins in my class. I'm like, what? This is a thing? Oh, well, okay. Um, but that was, what I, that was what I knew. So all these things, culture was reinforcing this idea that to give of your body sexually, or if someone takes from you even, that is love. So whenever I would hear about a biblical or holy or even a safe model of sex, 
I couldn't believe it because everything in my life, every seed that was sown was contrary to what the Bible was saying. So let's fast forward about 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago, 2012, 2013, I was in a four and a half year relationship with a woman I was sure was going to be my wife. I was sure and that relationship ended. They met someone else and they broke up with me on the day that my grandmother died. She knew that my grandmother had died, so that also was just like rejection, abandonment, all these things. So what that would become is a catalyst for what then became my sex addiction. I had a huge appetite for a body in the bed. That was the means. The fruit, sex is the fruit. It is the fruit, it's, it is a bad fruit out of context. It is a bad fruit of a deeper issue. Rejection, abandonment, I wanted comfort. I wanted control, because I felt like control was taken away from me. All these different things. I went through that, and I always wanted a body in my bed. I couldn't function. My brain couldn't think straight if I didn't have a body in the, in the bed. Let's fast forward again. Enter Jesus Christ. Hey. <laughs> and I remember when I'm giving my life to Jesus, I was just like, God, you've seen what I've done with my life. Like, I remember my eyes were closed, and I was just like this. And I was like... God, you've seen what I've done with my life. It's a mess. I cannot do it without you. I can't, I can't do this thing without you. I need you. I need you. By his grace, I ended up in therapy um, where we would end up working through these issues. And we can put the first scripture up on the slide God took me to the scripture, which I absolutely love. 1 John 1, 6 verse, verse 6 to 9. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, of, with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this is the scripture that I like, but we always cut it short. And I think to our detriment, like we, we, we shortchange ourselves by cutting the scripture short. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. And we always end it there. But it says, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not some, all unrighteousness. So if I confess my sin to God, right? If I confess my sin to God, he is faithful and he is just. He is both. But he will forgive me, but he will purify me of all unrighteousness. And what that said to me was just, Lord, then it's not on me. You said you would do it. You will do it. I mean, you've seen what I've done with my hands. <laughs> it's a mess, an absolute mess. So remembering again, shame is not my portion. Shame is not my portion. I cannot, you already know my thoughts, so I can't lie and say, ah, me, I don't have these thoughts, these desires, these wants. It's the truth. I confess them to you. Yes, you will forgive me, 
but you will also purify me from all unrighteousness. Church, may we not be so short-sighted to think heteronormativity is the goal. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal. He is good. And the thing about it is that like sin removes us from God. It removes us from God. And we're talking about sex in the series, but it's not just about that. If I'm praying for a job, I think, surely I can't ask God for this and this and this and this. Because do you know what I did last night? I've already shamed myself and judged myself. If I have so much shame, I cannot pray for my friend. I'm like, God can't hear me. Surely not, because he saw what I did yesterday. The, the, the goal is not a picture-perfect life. The goal is Jesus. It's Jesus. In the middle of everything, it's Jesus. When we look to him, everything falls away. It's, the goal is Jesus. The fruit will follow. The fruit will follow living a life where we want to be like him. Where we want to be like him. We can go to the next one. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is the one working in us. We have no power alone without him. It is God who works in us to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. So I'm in therapy and I had like a few, like maybe three or four years of like radical healing. Beautiful beautiful. I have no appetite for anything. Like, I was even thinking about men. I was like, yes, I want a husband, not a wife. Oh my gosh. And that was huge for me. I was just like, okay. Um, but I, I had no desires. It, it just wasn't there. And I was living freely. And then life happens. I slipped hard. I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Spirit filled, I slip? How? What do you mean, Lord? And the shame that came over me after that was more than anything that I could bear. I messed up, Lord. I messed up. Sure, okay, fine. I'm going to run away now because I'm not worthy of your love. So I was talking to a friend of mine who was my disciple at the church that I was at before. And I'm talking to her and I'm like, crying and telling her, you know, that I've slipped up and this, this. And she's just playing with her baby nonchalantly, like, oh, you know, it's another day. I almost thought she wasn't listening to me. And then she says to me, what does the cross mean to you? What does the cross mean to you? Because if the cross wasn't enough to cover all of this, why are you worshiping God? Why, why did you give your life to him? God is enough. The cross is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover every single thing, every mistake, every appetite, anything that is not of God. God is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough. If you can think about, think about the, the darkest thing, multiply it by seven. The blood is enough. The blood is enough. Society might tell you that there is no redemption for you, even if you are a perpetrator of rape. The blood is enough. The blood is enough. The blood is enough. We wouldn't be worshiping him. We'd be worshiping in vain if it was not. We'd be worshiping in vain. So that was part of the healing, and I was just like, okay, 
God is good. He is enough. And I'm going to keep pursuing. Another way, another thing that really helped me in my healing journey, community. Can we take a moment to talk about community? I was graced to be in a connect group, get into a connect group. I was graced to get into a connect group where the ladies loved me. And they weren't like, oh, you need to fix this and this and this and this before you come to Jesus. They were living their lives for Jesus. And they were boldly proclaiming, I'm struggling with this, but oh my gosh, God is good. And and as they were living out their lives, I was like, I want to know that God. I want to know that God who wants me. I want to know that God who is good. I want to know that God who can change me. I want to know that God. Church, can we love broken people towards Jesus? Can we love each other towards Jesus? And even if the sin is not something you are familiar with, can we love them towards Jesus? Again, I'll say, may we not be so short-sighted to think the actions, the fruit, this heteronormativity or the abstinence outside of marriage, whatever it may be, that is the goal. That is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal. When my thoughts are running wild, the goal is Jesus. When I have someone in my bed, but I don't know how to turn away, the goal is Jesus. When I smell like an abortion, the goal is Jesus. When I smell like shame, the goal is Jesus. When I walk willingly towards the sin, I know God doesn't want for me, but still the goal is Jesus. And the the goal is Jesus. When I know that even though the abstinence doesn't feel good, I know his purpose for my life is good. He is good. The goal is Jesus. He is good. And it is him who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Amen. powerful the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever amen Uh, such a privilege and an honor for me to be here this morning 10 15 rock (laughs) Um, yeah my story 20 year journey into 10 minutes let's do this thing quickly (laughs) Uh, so Uh, I was around age 20, I was raped, fell pregnant from the rape, and chose to have an abortion. Set me on a downward spiral. I felt like used damaged goods. How can God use me? How can he forgive me? Who's going to marry me? But I stand here today, married, healed, and whole. (laughs) Amen. When that happened to me, I decided that I am going to keep the secret and I'm going to take it to my grave. Nobody will ever know that I was raped. Nobody will ever know that I had had an abortion. It was my story and I was going to live with that. But it caused chaos in my life. I was a terrible person to live with. I suffered with low self-esteem, inferiority complex. I 
struggled with guilt and shame and condemnation. Years later, I met this amazing man, fell in love with him, and I thought that was the end of my drama, but I carried all of that chaos into my marriage, and I almost ruined a perfectly good and healthy marriage, but God was faithful. I remember really struggling, not even knowing that trying to keep the secret, hold on to the secret, was called, causing all of the pain in my life. And I remember one day just crying out to the Lord. This is like 15 years into my marriage. And I said, Lord, you can't call me to this earth. And I live such a miserable life. I said, Lord, if you are out there, change things for me. And I felt a hand, the hand of God over me. And I imagine I heard him saying to me, Mercia, I want to change things for you. Things didn't change instantly. It was a process. You've heard me saying that it was like 20 years. But God had his hand on me. And he really brought about great change, great deliverance, great healing to my life. I accepted the Lord as Savior. And I decided to do a particular course, and one of the assignments for the course was that I write my life story, not realizing that I was going to have an encounter with God. I made the decision not to ever think about the rape and the abortion. I had suppressed it so far. I went and, and to many different conferences, listened to amazing teachings, spent a lot of time in the Word of God. And God spoke, and people spoke about the sin in our lives, but I always, it came up in my mind, the, the, the rape, it came up in my mind, the abortion, but I suppressed it. I never wanted to go there till I wrote my life story. I was so excited about writing this life story. I took a day off work, I got, took my children to school, and I came back, and I spent the day at home. And I wrote, and I started at the beginning, when I was just a little girl, as far as I can remember. And I wrote about all the good memories and the bad memories and um, times at school, and, and I went on and on. And then, for the first time, the rape and the abortion. But I started writing about it as if it was somebody else's story. And I remember the moment and the time it happened and how it happened, and it was just so awful. But I wrote all these things down, and I remember finding out that I was pregnant and then the decision to have the abortion. And I struggled with that, but I wrote. And then I decided at the end I'd come to where I was in my life at that time, and I'll go back just to fix the grammar and any errors that there were. And I decided, and I came back down to the rape. And I realized, this is my story. This is something that happened to me. And I started to cry uncontrollably. I couldn't stop crying, but you know what? It was a good cry. It was a healthy cry. It was so much freedom. It was redemption. It was God healing me for everything that I've done. And in that moment, I knew that I was totally forgiven. 
and that I was free from the sin and the depression and the, the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. And I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for forgiving me. In that moment, I was able to forgive myself because I thought it was all about me. It was me that had caused this to happen. You know, we as women, we take on a lot of guilt. And it's not always our responsibility. It's not always our fault. But you know, I shouldn't have been there, I thought. You know, I shouldn't have gone that way. And this wouldn't have happened to me. And it was all me, 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 me. But you know, men, I want to speak to you as well. If you are out there and you're abusing your wife and you've raped somebody, you know, there's healing for you as well. There's redemption. You need to also take accountability. I love what pa Pastor Simon shared last week. He shared about things that he had gone through and consequences. And you know, we all have consequences to our actions but the thing is, when it comes to God and we repent and we change and we turn our ways, God walks us through those con con consequences. God is a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And so the Lord speaks to me on that day and I just feel His love towards me and I realize that I am forgiven. I am blood washed. Jesus has paid a high price for me, the full price for me, and that God is going to do a new thing in my heart and in my life. So I had become a Christian, and I thought that God could never use me. He could never do anything great in my life because of what I did. He couldn't possibly forgive me because I had murdered a child. And, you know, we take on so much guilt and so much condemnation. And God says to us, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And so God comes and he brings all this freedom to me. And I realize I can now do what God has called me to do. But he was there all the time. He always wants to do a new thing in our hearts and in our lives. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are carrying guilt, shame, and condemnation, things, heavy burdens, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Find just one person that you can talk to if you've been holding on to stuff for too long. It's not your burden to carry. God wants to be with you. I am so grateful that in the beginning when I made the decision to come out about it, I came out to the Lord. Because he was with me when I was raped. He was with me when, he, when I made the decision to have the abortion. And he knew exactly what I was going through. And so he came alongside me. And he's a good God like that. And so praise God. After I had the encounter with God, he also gave me another opportunity to tell Mark the truth. Because I had not told my husband what had happened. And I needed to do that. So I was battling to tell him. I was afraid, what if he leaves me? I was still struggling with that fear. But the, the desire to share with him was stronger than the fear that I was experiencing. And so I, I, I called Mark one morning and I said, let us just sit down. I need to share something with you. We sat on the bed and he sat next to me. And I said to him, Mark. 
I was raped. It was my first sexual experience. And um, I fell pregnant from the rape, and then I had the abortion. And I've really struggled with that. And the first thing that uh, came out of Mark's mouth was, Mercia, I love you. And I said, Lord, you are so good. You know, he is good like that. And if we listen to his voice, he's going to lead us to do the right thing at the right time. I think if I shared with Mark earlier, you know, it might not have gone that way. But Mark also then said to me, Mercia, I know that God had forgiven you and you need to forgive yourself. And I said, I had forgiven myself. And so I thank God that Mark was gracious and merciful and he stood with me throughout those years. And today we have a wonderful marriage and I love sharing this testimony with so many. I get to counsel so many young girls that are going through this thing. It's a terrible thing to hold on. And it might not be rape and abortion, but it could be something else that you are carrying. It's a weight that you're not called to carry. I want to say to you, God loves you. He's merciful and he is gracious. There's a few scriptures on top. I've overgone my time, so I'm not going to read it. Just read it as you go and be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Moshe. Incredibly brave people in our midst. It's 1987, 1986, somewhere around there. I'm between the ages of 12 and 13. Um, I'm living in Germiston. So if you're from Germiston, uh, the story takes place. Next to Germiston Lake, there's those high-rise flats. It was there. Um, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I'm a Christian by ticking a box, you know, like if I uh, said what religion you are, I'd be a Christian, but I never went to church. We never, yeah, we weren't Christians at the time. And um, uh, my friend at school, I think standard five, grade seven, somewhere around there, invites me uh, to his house, to these flats. It's really cool. They have tennis courts, swimming pools, amazing place. Uh, introduces me to his uncle, who's a really amazing guy. We go to movies together. He spoils us. Things are really, really, really great. And then one day, he says, oh, you know, we're all guys in this house. You know, we're all gents. So, you know, if you want to walk around without a shirt on, or if you want to walk around just, you know, you can just, <laughs> you can be free here, because we're all just guys. And, and that's where the lights begin to go off in these places, right? The second time I visit, what happens is um, it's uh, Wimbledon and uh, we're watching, I think it's, uh, what's his name? Boris, Boris, yeah, that guy, um, at the top of his game, we're watching the sport and he says, you know, why don't you come and sit here on my lap? It's okay. And there's a, the chair is situated that it's convenient to do. The room goes dark. 
Then he says, uh, we went to movies the one night, the drive-in, come back. He says, uh, Alex um, has his own bed, it's a single bed. Why don't you just come and sleep in my bed tonight? Another light goes out. And so as I'm laying in the bed, this grown man whispers to me and says to me, this is what God has intended for us. This is what is meant to happen. He goes on to molest me. And I remember going to bed that night, crying. And in that silence and in that darkness, I said, Lord, or God, is this really what you want? So two weeks later, my mom decides that she's going to start reading the Bible to her children. And um, she's never done this before, and I don't think she's ever done it afterwards. And the book of the Bible my mom decides to read to us is the book of Leviticus. Which parent <laughs> thinks that that's an appropriate book to start off with? But what that book does for me, it, it creates a small light, a crack in the door that sheds light on a really dark secret that I was holding. And from that moment on, I knew that what was told to me was a lie. And I started to step into the light. What that moment did for me now as a Christian, it told me that I was not alone. And that God was with me, even though I didn't know Him. And so I want to tell you this morning that you might not think that God is for you. He is with you and He is for you. I became a Christian in my early years of high school. And as I became that Christian, I started stepping more into the light and understanding who this Jesus is that I'm serving. And as I began to step into that light, dignity and that shame and that secret that I was carrying was able to be shared. And so I would share it with my youth pastor as the first person I ever shared that with. Because as a young man, we don't share these things. I guarantee you there are people online in this auditorium now that are men that have never shared this with anybody because it's shameful. It's not the manly thing to do. And so I shared it with my youth pastor. And all I got in return was love, mercy, and grace. I then shared it with a friend at school and found out that this man had gone after three, four other young boys in our class. And so by him sharing and me sharing, we turned up the light again to say that this cannot happen in our space. And as I became a Christian, I was told that I needed to forgive people that hurt me. So one day... After school, I found out where this guy lived. And on my own, but I wasn't on my own, the Lord went with me. I remember walking up the stairs, walking down a long corridor to this door. And the intention was to knock at the door, look the guy in the eye, and tell him I forgive him. I knocked on the door, the door opened, and he had passed away two years before I got the opportunity to forgive him to his faith. But the fact that I was standing there, that I knocked on the door, and that I had the courage to do that, it shed another light. It allowed me to step into the light. And so, 
it has been a long journey of every day stepping into the light. When I got married, it was about stepping into the light and having these conversations with Clemson and her having conversations with me and knowing that I'm always continuously walking towards the light. And so my encouragement to you today as Mihi is going to come up and sing a song as we close our time together is step into the light. Jesus is here and he's offering you the opportunity and he's saying, do you want to get well? I am here to heal you, me. Something's been stolen Under the weight of the curse you've been broken You're not what happened You're more than the shame you were recklessly given You silently scream through the tears you can't keep from falling. Wishing they'd poured out enough to break through the hurting. Jesus runs after the broken ones, weeping with those. Shake the feeling He's not in a rush He has time for your healing Lean on His shoulders It's never too late And your story's not over you wish you could go back in time Rewrite your own ending But then you find faith to believe It's just the beginning hey, Jesus runs after the broken They shatter in Jesus' name.
to take what's wrong and make it right. He is here and he has time for you to take what's wrong and make it with those who weep he's crowned you with purity and years of shame shattering Jesus name Amen Broken people need a steadfast savior. Don't let this moment to receive his healing pass you by. Father, thank you that you are the one who runs after the broken ones. And this morning, we come here with the brokenness maybe even the brokenness that we've tried to suppress for so long. And we say thank you that you are running after us. Thank you that you are the steadfast Savior in our brokenness. We bless what you are doing in each of those lives. The, in me, his life, Mercia's life, Quentin, who shared so authentically with us this morning. And we bless what you are doing in every heart this morning, even those of us who haven't yet had the courage to share that story publicly, Lord God. This morning, Lord God, may we share it with you. There's an opportunity this morning, friends, family, to come and be ministered to, to receive a touch from the Holy Spirit. Do not miss this moment. Today is a divine encounter with the Holy Spirit. Forget what is happening at home just for 30 minutes. Forget the pots, forget everything, and do not let this moment pass you by. We will have an opportunity for ministry at the end of the service. Do not let the lie of the enemy hold you back. Do not be held back by the lie, but I've prayed about this several times. How can I go pray about it again today? Come forward again and receive a touch from the Holy Spirit. If you're online, please, if you need ministry, if you need additional counseling, please share your name in the chat. We also have a pastoral care form on the website if you need specific counseling or therapy. Do not let this moment pass you by. As we release you to 
for those who need to go. We want to pray a blessing over all of us this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be your peace.